Well, good morning, Grace. Several years ago, I was in a youth group and we took a trip to Guatemala. It was actually my senior year. And while we were there, we did all kinds of incredible things. We took an entire medical team and we did things like feeding the hungry. We took lice out of people's hairs. We did dental work. And it was just a, it was a great trip. Well, one day during that trip, they brought a boy to our location named Christian. And it kind of caught my attention. Really beautiful kid. He's probably about 12 years old. And while he was there, I was like, hey, he's got an English name, but he's Hispanic. Like, what's the deal? And they said, well, years ago, he was actually raised from the dead. And I was like, what? Like, he, he was what? And they go, yeah, he was raised from the dead. Now, if I was going to be honest with you, in that moment, I automatically was skeptical. I was like, really? Like, did he really get raised from the dead? And so they began to tell me the story. And they were like, yeah, he was actually walking and he got ran over by a school bus. And I was like, oh my gosh. And they said, yeah. And so he was dead on the spot. It had been 20 or 30 minutes had passed. He was lying there dead. And they got the local pastors to come around him and to pray for him. So they all laid hands on him. They asked for Jesus to heal him. And the boy got up. And they changed his name from what his name, whatever it was, to now Christian, because he had faith in Jesus, because he knew that God had supernaturally healed him. Now, I'm sitting here going like, how did this happen? How is that possible? You know why? Because we live in such a disheartened world. We're among evil and pain, and suffering to where we go, hey, God, like, are you really there? Are you really at work? Like, do you still supernaturally intervene in our lives? Listen, when the pandemic hit in March, <laughs> I rolled with the punches. I did. Like, I just, I got in this mindset of, like, what do we need to do? Let's be pragmatic, and my thoughts and my feelings, they'll catch up later. And God was good to us. And so a few weeks ago, we, we opened up and, and decided to meet in person, have in-person worship services again. I was so excited. We did two weeks of it. I was planning on July 4th weekend to be preaching at Orlando on Saturday and on Sunday to be preaching online. And then on Sunday night, I was gonna preach in Oviedo. We were so excited to be back. And then we made the decision to meet in online worship only again. And you know what? It was the right decision. It was the right call, and I knew that. But my heart was not there yet. Last week was tough for me. I felt dejected. I felt disheartened. And I was going, God, like, what are you doing? And I, I got to this place where I started to question God. I started to doubt God's goodness and his presence. And I, and I just went in this total place. And it was in that moment where I knew something was off. You know what it was? I lost my wonder of God. Today, we're gonna to be in the book of John. And you're gonna see a man who encounters Jesus. And this man has this disenchanted world. His entire situation is grim. And it's been that way for a very long time. Like so long. And you're gonna see God lovingly intervene into his life. So if you've got your Bibles today, we're gonna to be in John chapter five, verse one and following. But before we go there, I wanna ask you to do something with me. 
I wanna ask you to pray a, a quick prayer. And so just pray this with me out loud in your homes, wherever you are, whether you're at the beach, I don't know where you are online currently, but would you just pray this with me? God, would you speak to me? God, would you use this message to transform my life? God, give me ears to hear, amen. So let's jump in, John chapter five, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now it's interesting, when you hear you know, pools and columns, you, your mind might go where mine does. I automatically go to Amelia Island. I grew up going there every summer where there was an upper pool and a lower pool, same picture here. And there's columns all around and there's a roof and it was this beautiful spot. And it was so much fun to go every year. There was a bar over there. You could stop and eat food. All tourists came in. It was this beautiful, wonderful moment and experience in my life. That's where my mind goes when I see this picture. Upper pool, lower pool, columns, a roofing. I go, resort, that is not the picture here at all. Let's keep going. Verse three, in these, in these pools lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Here's the picture, hundreds do you hear me? Hundreds of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. It is disgusting and smelly. People don't come here to relax. The elite don't come here. The tourists, they don't show up to this spot. This is the broken, the downcast, the disheartened. It's a mess here. The lowest of the low go to this place. That's the picture. And then if you notice in your Bibles, if you're reading right now, there's no verse four. It's not there. It goes from verse three to verse five. All of our modern translations have that. They just skip over four. The only two translations that I could find is the Holman Christian Standard and the King James Version have a verse four. The reason it's not there is most people don't believe that it's part of the word of God. It's not actually God's words. It's her tradition that they believed in that time. And so I wanna read from the Holman Christian Standard, verse four, even though it's not in your modern Bible today. It says, because an angel would go up, go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever ailment he had. So that underlined section is verse four. Here's the picture. They believed, it was almost a superstition where an angel would come into the area, stir up the water in the pools, and then the, the first person who made it in the water would be healed of their ailment. That was this tradition, that was this superstition, that was this thing that they all believed in the area. And so they had tons of broken people who would flock to this area and hang out, waiting for the waters to stir. Then we pick up in verse five. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So I just wanna, I wanna paint the picture again for you. 
hundreds of people in this place, broken, dejected, lame, blind, paralyzed. And Jesus shows up and what does he do? He comes to one individual. We see this through the book of John where Jesus shows up and there's a lot going on and he goes to the one person. He picks and he chooses this person. The text says that Jesus knew divinely, I believe, that this man had been in this state, this paraplegic state for 38 years. I wanna give you some context. The average lifespan during this time was anywhere between 35 and 38 years old. This man had been dealing with this for a very long time, almost all of his life. And Jesus comes up to him. And I want you to paint, I want you to think about this picture. Put your feet in Jesus's shoes for a minute. No modern medicine, no nurses, no hospitals, so to speak. There is this man who literally can't take care of himself and nobody else is taking care of him. Think about that. He is probably smelly. He looks horrible. He probably, I'm gonna get gross for a second, but I want you to see the picture. He probably can't even take himself somewhere else to go to the bathroom. He's unable to care for himself. And Jesus shows up in this messy situation and he says, do you wanna get well? Do you want to be healed? Now, on on one level, you look at that and you go, Jesus, what are you talking about? This guy's been in this situation for 38 years and you're asking, do you wanna be healed? Are you joking? Jesus, have you lost your mind, right? But it's this picture where Jesus is eliciting a response from this man. He's saying, Do you wanna get well? Not just physically, but spiritually, do you want to be healed? Do you wanna be made well, holistically? As a matter of fact, there's a principle here that I want you to see. Not everyone who says, I want to get well, truly wants to get well. Do you see that? Jesus is coming to this man. He's saying, hey, I know you're saying that you wanna get well, but do you truly want to get well? And so I wanna turn and ask you this question. I wanna elicit a response from you this morning. Do you really wanna get well? Because I meet with married couples all the time. You know what happens? We meet for a counseling session and they're like, we wanna make it, we wanna make things right. But then when I ask them to change things in their schedule, in their commitments, in the way that they do things, they go, hey, you know, we wanna change, but we don't wanna change this in my life. A lot of you are saying, man, God, I wanna grow in humility, but yet you are unwilling to listen to other people's point of view. I wanna grow in patience, but you're unwilling to go through the long suffering that it takes to learn patience. See the principle? Not everyone who says, I want to get well, truly wants to get well. And Jesus is eliciting a response from this man. Do you want to change? Do you wanna change? And so how does he respond? The sick man answered him, verse seven, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. I think he's referring to verse four, you know, that tradition where an angel stirs up the water, somebody hops in and gets healed. He's saying, hey, listen, I wanna get healed. 
Like I, I would have, but I didn't have the ability because I'm a paraplegic to actually hop in the water and be healed when the angel comes. That's his response. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Jesus intervenes into this man's life. He's been this way for 38 years and miraculously in an instant heals this man. Says, get up, take your bed and walk. Now, the next part, the very end of verse nine says, now that day was the Sabbath. This is where the passage takes a turn. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. Why does that matter? In the context, here's the picture. The Jews of the area created this man-made law that on the Sabbath, if you pick up your bed, you're breaking God's law. Even though it's not really God's law, it's an extra biblical rule that the people created during their time. So it's significant that the text here is showing us what day it is. It's the Sabbath day. And then watch what happens. So the Jews, the people of the land, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Watch what happens. Man gets healed miraculously. He picks up his bed and walks. What are the Jews mad about? They're mad because he picked up his bed and walked. And so what does they do? They come to him and say, why did you pick up your bed and walk? And what does the man do? Watch this. He throws Jesus under the bus. He does. The man who healed me, that guy, him over there, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. In other words, I'm not gonna take responsibility for this. The man who healed me, that guy over there, I'm blaming him. Haven't we been doing this since the beginning? Adam and Eve and every one of us, we don't wanna take personal responsibility. We wanna throw anybody under the bus as long as we are okay among people's viewpoint and lens, right? Verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in this place. Notice the Jews' response. We saw the man's response. He threw Jesus under the bus. He rejected Jesus, so to speak. Now, watch the Jews. A man had just been healed, a paraplegic for 38 years. What did the Jews do? Do they focus on the healing? No, no, no. Hey, Where's the man, who's the man that told you to pick up your bed? I don't care if you got healed. We care about this man-made created law that we created. They completely missed the moment. They completely missed the fact that God supernaturally healed this man. It's crazy, they missed it. It makes me think of one of my favorite books, Ruthless Trust. It's, it's Brennan Manning, he tells a story of a Trappist monk. And here's the picture. He, this monk is being chased by a tiger and the tiger wants to devour him. He runs all the way up to a cliff, almost falls off the cliff and grabs hold. And so he's got a tiger behind him that wants to devour him. And then he's got immediate death after, right in front of him as he hangs on this cliff. You know what the Trappist monk does? He turns to his side and he sees a strawberry. He takes the berry 
and he eats it. And he enjoys the berry and he says, man, that was good. That was good. You know what the, the monk does? He doesn't fix his eyes on the, the danger behind him or the danger in front of him. No, he fixes his eyes in the moment and he enjoys the moment. The Jews missed it. I wanna ask you, what is your berry in this season? What's the thing where God is doing incredible things in your life, around you, in your family, at your job? What situation are you missing because you're focusing on all this other stuff? Everything before you, everything behind you, and God's going, I'm working in your life. What is your berry? What's that thing that God's saying, I'm here and I love you? And so afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. I think Jesus is doing a couple of things here. I think he's referring to that verse four, that's that tradition that's not really the word of God. I think what he's saying is this. He's saying, hey, listen, there's this tradition, there's this superstition where people would jump into water after the angels stirred the water and they would be healed. But here's what I think took place. A placebo effect took place because they believed that they would be healed. So they would hop out of the pool, they would think they're healed. And then a little later on, they would recognize that they haven't truly been healed. And Jesus is saying, I think a couple of days later at this point, Jesus looks at the man in the temple and he says, see, you're well. This isn't a placebo effect. This isn't some superstition. It's not a tradition. No, no, no. I miraculously healed you. You are well. It was this incredible moment. So he finds him and says, see, you are well. But then he says this statement, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. It's crazy. It's one of the few times in scripture where Jesus and God, for that fact, ties sin with physical sickness. He's saying, because you've sinned, you're in this state and you've been in this state for most of your life. And so what does he say? He says, hey, listen, don't miss this. Go and sin no more or worse is headed your way. What does Jesus mean? Does Jesus mean, hey, listen, if you keep sinning in this way, then guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get stage four cancer and you're gonna die from it. I don't think that's at all what Jesus means. What Jesus is saying is, is that if you don't turn to me, if you don't trust me, if you don't have a relationship with me, if you don't place your faith in me, then guess what? Something worse than this whole entire disease that you've had all of your life, it's gonna be way worse than that. That's nothing in comparison to eternal damnation. That's nothing in comparison to your future if you don't trust and turn and surrender to me. Sin no more. Follow me, Jesus says. The man went away, verse 15, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. You see that? What does the man do? He's healed. It's confirmed that he's healed. And Jesus is saying, turn to me, sin no more and come to me. What does the man do? He throws Jesus under the bus again. The man went away and told the Jews, that it was Jesus who healed him. He says, hey guys, remember you were looking for this guy? He's right over here. He's right over there. So I wanna ask you, how are you 
responding to Jesus? Are you like the invalid? The one who experiences God's goodness and God's grace and God's love in your life and ultimately reject him? What you're doing in that moment is you're saying, I love the gifts and not the giver. Are you gonna respond like that? Have you been responding like that? Are you gonna be like the Jews who completely miss it, who get caught up in all these arguments and all these man-made laws and all this religiosity and reject Jesus? Or are you gonna surrender to Jesus? Are you gonna say, I don't have this figured out, but I wanna be made well. I wanna be made whole. I wanna truly change, not just say it, but I want you to work in my life. I want you to use this pandemic. I want you to use whatever it is in my life to change me truly from the inside out. I wanna walk by faith and not by sight. Do you wanna surrender to Jesus. And so I want to end with this quote. I want you to think about this. It's out of this book, Ruthless Trust Again. And here's the picture. He's talking about what does trust really look like? Let's read. This is Brennan Manning. Sometimes we harbor an unexpressed suspicion that he cannot handle all that goes on in our minds and hearts. We doubt that he can accept our hateful thoughts, our cruel fantasies, and our bizarre dreams. We wonder how he would deal with our primitive urges, our inflated illusions, and our exotic mental castles. The deep resistance to making ourselves so vulnerable, so naked, so totally unprotected is our implicit way of saying, Jesus, I trust you, but there's limits. By refusing to share our fantasies, our worries and joys. We limit God's lordship over our life and make clear that there are parts of us that we do not wish to submit to a divine conversation. There's this sense in which where we go, I'm not gonna let you in there, God. I'm not gonna let you move in my life. You can come up to a point, but it stops here. It seems that the master had something more in mind when he said, trust in me, trust in me. And so will you trust God today? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would transform us. I pray that we would put our faith in the only one that can save us, in Jesus, the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. God, would we put our faith in him? Would we let him transform us and make us well in this season? In Jesus' name, amen.